That is good. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, now, just, just in case, if any of you have your, if you use, uh, if you use uh, the Bible app, the U version, I just wanted to let you know, if you use a U version Bible, if you go open your app, go down in the Bible, you'll see an event. You can see, a, you can down to the event, and you'll find Hope Church, Hope Church, Parenthesis, Clarksburg, Maryland, and today's sermon notes are all in there. You don't have to write anything. You can put a note in there. You can follow along. Most of the slides are already in it. Okay, I think I was just, you know, just I learned it last week traveling to we stopped at a Chiroko church. They said, this man, the old man behind me, she said, you don't need to take notes because you can do this and show me. And, and, and I found that it's a free app you can use. And so you can, if you use the Bible, that app, you can follow along with that. Now, only thing is, I don't want you to be looking at it all the time. So you know, I want you to be looking up, up with me anyway. Okay, great. Um, God is good. Uh, let me see. I was debating on, really not debating, praying about what I should share. And I was torn between the two. Because the last whole week, week I've been, I've been I, you know, I went to Wheaton College, the campus minister spoke on the theme of reconciliation. And not only that message was important, I mean, really for them as well, but also our nation seemed to need it. With all the things going on, especially with the shooting at Pittsburgh, and I just thought it might be a perfect message to speak on today, but I fell back into the uh, series of messages you're going through. Just to let you know, I used to live in that area, School Hill, because I went to Carnegie Mellon and Pittsburgh. There, my friend, uh, Pastor Ron, some of you know Pastor Ron Chu, has a, parents used to own a store on the main street on School Hill. And, you know, and so this is very close, very close to home in that way. And, and there is a lot of um, anger and violence in our nation, the rage going on. And I really believe prophetically the word for our generation, our times really is church to really live out, not only preach, but live out the message of reconciliation, starting with Christ, you know, uh, being our uh, peacemaker, and he is our peace. But today I want to continue on in our series of messages on in the, uh, life in the spirit, especially focusing on the book of Acts. And as I mentioned it before, I think a couple of weeks ago, that I really believe what God is doing with us as we go through this series of messages, especially through the book of Acts, He is reconfiguring our church's DNA. And because I think DNA of Western church, church that we are living in Western world, is very comfortable. Whether we like it or not, we are mostly... Uh, Wealth and health gospel, we, we espouse some degree or another. We espouse in some degree or no, another that the prosperity gospel, we do that. And I, I tell you, um, just give me a couple minutes before I really get into the message. This week was amazing, and just a couple of things. One, when I went to Wheaton, and I met probably about 60-some students, mostly Asian-Americans, and, and I saw all kinds of students. I saw students from... Indonesia, Malaysia, China, a lot of them are MKs, missionary kids, some PKs, pastors' kids. There's one girl, a couple of people really stuck out to me. One was this girl, I asked, she grew up in North Korea for 16 years. In the end, she's a sophomore in the school because her dad is a missionary in North Korea. 
He's been into North Korea about 20-some years ago, started a business. After 20 years, there was such a, a respect from the government. But, you know, she said, oh, they know that my father never does bribing. Not never does bribe. And, and they are not happy that, you know, they, they will not give them any bribe. On the other hand, they respect him for it. So when I talked with her, she said, when, I said, when you're done, what do you, what do you want to do? I wanna, she said, I want to go back home. She said, North Korea was a home. It really just, you know, um, you know, made me think about a lot. She grew up as a missionary kid in the North Korea, the, the most closed nation in the world to the gospel. And not only that, poor nation, but yet that's her home. And she was talking about how, you know, uh, some of the rules that, she, that you are not supposed to meet or talk to any uh, North Korean resident people there. But because she's so little, little kid, they, they, didn't, they didn't block her. She used to go into homes and have friends there, talk to kids with her. I was so amazed. You know, and, and then yesterday and Friday, Pastor Mimi and I, we were at our denominational presbytery meeting. We had a um, third-generation Iranian Christian lady came and shared about the ministry going on. You know, and early, I think 1917, there were about less than 50 Christians in Iran. Now there are about one to three million Christians in Iran. The fastest growing church in the world is in Iran. With all the things going on, but yet something that we do not know, what we do not know is that underground there are one to three million Christians in, in Iran. And all the churches are underground. Because in 2012, they took away any, any rights for them to have any kind of public building. So they're all underground. So the church they're doing is very different from ours. Their house churches all hidden under the all that you know, scrutiny with the persecution going on, and a lot of co co-workers were some of the family members were killed and they had to be kicked out of the country and all those kind of things. And these are the people. Now, when I met with some of these people and I see these things, our faith in United States in America is so focused on me, my happiness, me doing well. We talk, we always talk about. You know, how can I be, have a peace in life? Those, yes, those are important, but there are greater issues they're going through. We need to look through. And I'm so amazed, and I love our denomination, what God is doing. Anyhow, but today I want to look at Apostle Paul's life, or um, he was when he was Saul. Let me go in. Let me pray a little bit. Father, just come before you right now. We come humbly before you to our God, the crucified and died, yet resurrected, ascended to heaven who will return to on earth in power and glory. That God, to his name, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord and God. To that God we come, who we call as our heavenly Father. We come today as we worship you. We behold our eyes and we look to you. We ask not only for great teaching, but we want to know you. We want to be transformed by your presence. We want our hearts and minds to come alive in you. Father, we want to be where you are. We want to go where you want us to go. We want to do things that is in your heart. We want our hearts to be broken with the things that break your heart. We want to be in our Father's business. We give you glory, God. So I ask today, even use me that your word will come forth in power and strength and encouragement as well as healing and restoration. 
We love you. We love you, O oh God. In the amazing name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, I, I was thinking about how, what, how to title the message, and that I said it was, now you'll find out why I came with this title later in the message, Sudden Surrender. Today's text is up, uh, from Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through 22. And, and so let me begin with that uh, overall theme and, and the overlay, overall outline of the whole book of Acts. Really in one verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus promised right before he ascended and when returned back to the Father, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, in all, in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Now, uh, I want to begin by talking about this name, Saul. You know, and we read a little bit, when you were going through the messages in Book of Acts, we saw him a little bit coming out here and there. And he was a ravager of the church. Or that some, you know, we can use a persecutor or even a murderer against. He's a church hater. That's what it was, a church hater. That's who he was. And let me begin with verse 1. So I want to read through the, I want to go slowly through our text and tell the story and stop here and there to make some points that we need to look at. Now Saul, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, which is about 140 miles away. Actually, if you walk there, probably is about a week journey, so that if he founded any belonging to the way, apparently the Christians, those follow Christ, will call those people on the way, the way. Because Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way, truth, and life. They call Christians the people of the way, people belonging to the way. Both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, let me just remind us a little bit. Because first time Saul was mentioned, it was in chapter 7, when Stephen, the first, one of the first deacons in the church, was martyred. He was the first one to die for Christ. And actually ended up the whole, that after Stephen gave his defense and how people were raged and began to kill him. This is what it says. When they had driven, driven him out, Stephen out of the city, they began stoning him. The witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. So they put their coat at the feet of Saul, and Saul was giving approval to us what's going on. So meaning that he had some kind of authority to give that stoning to happen. He was part of the, he heard all the messages that, that, the defense that Stephen gave. Not only that, he was, so he saw how Stephen got killed, stoned to death. He was right there. And chapter 8, next chapter 1, verse 1, he says, and Saul was in hearty agreement with this putting him to death. On that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all they were they were they were all scattered. I Meaning, all the Christians were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now you can you can see in this text that Saul was a huge part of this persecution that started. He was one of the main reasons that this persecution started. 
If you look at next couple of verses, verse 3, it says, Saul began ravaging this church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women. He would put them into prison. Now in Jerusalem, and, and this young man, Saul, went to churches because churches were in meeting in homes and went in and dragged out the Christians and bring them to prison. That's what he was doing. He was ravaging the church. One man church, wrecking crew. That's who he was. That's who Paul was, Saul was. If there were anybody, there was, there was someone who hated church, that was Saul. Now, this is way uh, later in the book of Acts when Paul was in a Saul of the who now is called by Paul, named Paul. He is giving his defense to Jews in, in Jerusalem. That's what he says, talking about himself. I am a Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Sicilia, and I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. Gamaliel is one of the famous rabbis at the time in, in, in Israel. As his student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. I became very jealous to honor, to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you today. And I persecuted the followers of the way, hounding some, of, some to death, arresting both men and women, and throwing them in prison. This, he talks about this is who he was before he met God. If somebody, if, if church prayed about somebody, and if there's someone the church was afraid of, that was Saul. The Saul. Now, he couldn't just stop just in Jerusalem, so he goes on. He goes on to a synagogue, and look at what it says. And he was... Tra- Did I miss a verse? Let me, let me go ahead and remind ourselves in verse uh, 2. It says... Uh, he, he went to the high priest asked for the, uh, the letters to go to Damascus, meaning that he was not happy just with Jerusalem. Now he got a permission to go outside of Jerusalem, even to Damascus, which is one of the major cities at the time. He goes out there, you know, and um, now as he's on the way, something, he, something happens in his life. We, we, and some, many of us probably might, might have heard of this story, how Saul encountered God. He meets God on the road. This is what it says. And he was traveling, traveling. It happened that he was approaching Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, Saul is on the way on the foot with the, uh, uh, with the uh, Sanhedrin's soldiers the police to go and catch more Christians in Damascus on that way. And, and probably he was thinking about many different things. And on, on that way, he has an encounter with God. And light begins to flash. And, and, and then he falls off from the horse. And all the others actually saw this as well. And he hears an audible voice out of heaven saying, Saul, Saul, calling out his name. Why are you persecuting me? So now later in the book of Acts, Apostle Paul recounts the story a little bit. This is what he says. One day I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with authority and commission of the leading priest. About noon, your, ma- your majesty, he was talking to the king, Agrippa. And I was on the road. A light from heaven brighter than sun shone down on me and my companions. Not just him, all the, the, those who were with him saw this huge bright light brighter than sun. 
And we all fell down. I, and I heard a voice. They all, they heard some sound. But he, Apostle Paul, Saul at the time clearly heard a voice that says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That here, actually, he actually adds a sentence here that he it was not mentioned in earlier chapter 9. It says, it is useless for you to fight against my will. Apparently God, and, and, and the voice come and said, why are you fighting against me? Why are you persecuting me? Jesus says. And let's continue, go back to the, our text. It said, and, and he said, and, and Saul says, who are you, Lord? Who are you speaking to me? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city and it will be told you what you must do. Say, and here the voice out of heaven says, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. He wasn't persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting the Christian, the church. But Jesus says, you, I'm Jesus, the one you are persecuting. You are, you are persecuting me. And when you're persecuting the Christian, you're persecuting me, Jesus says to him. Now I want you to get up and go to the city and somebody will come and tell you what you must do. That's what he has an encounter with God. This is a powerful encounter where those around, those were his companions, all fell down as well. He heard some kind of noise, but they didn't hear an audible voice. But Paul did. Saul did. Now, um, he says, verse 7, The man who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but not seeing no one. So they heard something, but they didn't see anything. This, this is where, what, what happened. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. Something happened to Saul. Now, his eyes are open, but he couldn't see anything. He became blind. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus, the city. And then what happened? Then he says, next three days he became, he was in darkness. Let me read this. And he was three days without sight. And neither ate nor drank. Now, I want you to think about what Saul is, must be doing. Now, he was ravaging the church. He thought that this church, the Christians were wrong. They were heretics. They were blaspheming God. They were actually going against all he believed about the God of Israel, all, all that. And now, and he has an encounter with Jesus. So those people that are following and now he's, now he's blind for three days. Now he must be wondering what I mean, he has. I bet you all kind of things are going through his mind. Encounter with this person. And, and apparently this Jesus is alive. And, he has an, and now he's three days. He's thinking about all kind of things are going through his mind. And powerful time in darkness. And there, is a, there, there is, must be a reason why he became uh, blind for three days. God blinded him, letting him know, you are blind, you do not know what's going on. You do not see what's happening. You have your eyes open, but you cannot see. This is how you cannot see who I am, what these people are seeing. Powerful encounter. Now, the story goes on in this, in, in this, uh, this story. The story goes on with this account. Now, while uh, Saul is in blindness for three days, God shows up to a man named Ananias. Not the guy who died in chapter 5, who gave offering and who died. Not that guy. Different Ananias, okay, in Damascus. 
Have you heard about Ananias? Ananias at all? Have any of you have you heard of this Ananias? And you know, and you you might, but you know, you have you have no other record other than this here. How many of you heard of Mordecai Ham? How many of you heard of Mordecai Ham? Anybody heard of Mordecai Ham? About I think in, in 19, I think was it 1930s? This man came to North Carolina, did a revival. And young man named uh, Billy Frank, that's how he was called, high school student, came to revive him, which he wanted, he didn't want to come, so I ended up coming. And he was sitting there, and this Mordecai began to preach. He felt like that man was talking to, about him. And that man, that young man, gave his life. And the last line of the song, altar call song they were singing, he came and became a Christian. That man went on to become the greatest evangelist of all time, Billy Graham. You have never heard of Mordecai Ham, right? Never heard of Mordecai Ham. But I bet you when you think when you think about the life of Saul who becomes Apostle Paul, you don't remember Ananias. God used somebody, nobody that we do not remember other than this account. This, this uh, Ananias. Let, let me read. Now there was a disciple or Christian disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. The spelling is wrong. I'm sorry. It's my fault. Not Ananias, but Ananias. And he said, oh, no, no, I'm sorry. It says, okay. Different Bible have a different way of putting it out there. So Ananias, okay. And he said, here I am, Lord. And God, Jesus, God speaks to him. So now this is what Apostle Paul later gives an account of. A man named Ananias lived, in, lived there in Damascus. He was a godly, deeply devoted to the law. A man well regarded by all the Jews of Damascus. Not only was he a Christian, but he was, he was a very well respected, moral, you know, a devout, godly man that everybody respected. And he was a follower of Christ. That man. And the Lord told him, Get up and go to the street called Straight. God tells him, Jesus tells him, what street you're supposed to go. And inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come, come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. And... But Ananias says, answers, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he, had, he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. We heard about this guy. He is a, he is a church persecutor. He's also here to catch more Christians. As if God didn't know. Then, and then Jesus God, Jesus responds, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For all I will, sh for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. In this one sentence, God, is, God reveals to um, the Ananias what he will be doing. He is chosen by God to be his witness to the Gentiles, to the kings, even to the Jewish people, Israelites. 
And he's going to suffer a lot for me, God says. So, and that dialogue goes on. And God is using this man named Ananias. We will never, after this, we will not hear of him at all. This man, unknown, very normal Christian man. Now, before I go on, I need to tell a story. And I was trying to retell this story to my family member yesterday. I, I don't know why, in the middle of it, I, I, I couldn't say. I, I was crying, telling the story that I heard yesterday that the in, uh, Iranian Christian lady was telling a few stories how people come to know Christ in Iran, how a lot of them come to know Christ through dreams and visions they encounter with God. One of the stories that she told us it was that uh, one, of, uh, one, of, one of her colleagues, I believe whose father was, I think, murdered and martyred, in an end, they were kicked out of Iran. And before, I think, I, and I, 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 think I guess he's now working with them. While he was in Iran working, when, and, and, she, uh, and God told him and his wife to go visit a village way further. And they were on the way driving out there. It's not, it's not safe at all. On the way, they stopped. They saw a tall, big man with beard and everything. It looked like a terrorist, okay? Big guy there. And, and the wife says to him, let's call him Edward. Edward, I think we, should, we, I think we, should, we are supposed to give him a new test, copy of New Testament. The husband says, you're crazy. Look at him. You look like, you, you don't want to talk to somebody like that. You don't know who he is. And, and convinced, he convinced her they drove away. As they're going, she's so convicted. She says to him, you know, when you stand before Jesus, when he comes, and he, if, he, when he, if he asks, what about the man who's standing on the street? What is, what is, if he goes to hell, it'll be all your fault. It'll be, it, I'll tell you, it's all your fault, not mine. So he, after I fell, he turns around, go back to the guy, and gets out of the car and takes a copy of a copy of a, a New Testament, talks to the guy very gingerly, you know, this, this, and he talks to her, tells him, you know, he's a believer of Christ, and I have a gift for you, I want to give you a gift. As you do that, he notices this man, tears rolling in his eyes. And that man said, about six months ago, I was listening to the radio or not and heard about Jesus. And I was learning about him. And I've been asking for six months, can you give me a copy of a New Testament so I can know more about you? And he'd been asking. And that morning, he said, God said, I'm going to give you the Bible today. And so, and when, when he saw that couple driving by, oh, maybe they are the ones. But I saw you guys leave. <laughs> and, and, and he said, you know, maybe, God, maybe I heard God wrong. And he came back, when he came back, he gave the Bible, that man was crying. And he came to know Christ, became a part of a church, and, and, and became, I, think, I believe, became a preacher. And I'm told a story. Now, our God uses normal people, not just special people, anyone, everyone who will listen and obey. You see, Ananias, that Saul had Ananias will listen to God, right? Look what it says. And, and so Ananias departed and went to the house after laying his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you are coming, he, sent, he has sent me so that you may regain your sight 
and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now you see, as you look at this thing, God, Jesus spoke to him more things than what, what was written over here. I mean, Jesus always told him the name of the person, what he was, what's happening with him, all those things. He comes and speaks to him as he lays a hand and says, Jesus, you whom you met on the road, send me here. So I can lay my hand on you, your, your eyes will be healed as a sign that God is in midst of you and, and, and then that you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's an amazing story. So now what you find after this is you see God's calling on this ex-church murderer, one rabid church, God's calling on him. But the Lord said to him, this is, I'm remembering what, I'm just remembering what God told Ananias. Because in this, in this passage, it doesn't really say what, he, what Ananias told Paul, but he did say, say to all these things to him, Go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. This, I, I, I know that he told Paul I mean, later, I'm sorry, he told Saul, who later will be called Paul. If I go back and forth in the name, I'm sorry, just please understand what I'm getting at, okay? So, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is John 15, 16, when it says, when Jesus says to the disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you may go and bear fruit. This fruit will abide, it'll, it'll last, it'll last forever. And so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he'll give it to you. There's, there's really this verse, Jesus spoke, this word God Jesus spoke to his disciples, really applied to Paul. Jesus was saying, I chose you and appointed you. He was not a one who was seeking God at all, in, in the way, seeking Jesus at all. He was actually, if, some, if somebody was going against what, who Jesus was, what, what, who Jesus was, he was him. And, and Jesus somehow comes and, and, and comes to him. I do not know why. Did he deserve it? No. He didn't deserve any of these things. Yet, Jesus comes to him and speaks to him. I, not, I, I don't think it's because God could, he could, God could use him more. I think more than this. I, I think it's more than that. Because God does not call us just to serve him. God calls us because he loves us. He delights over us. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, it says, but be, He chose us in him, in Jesus Christ, before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to, be, to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to his kind intention of his will. It was God's kind intention that he wanted to adopt us sons, sons and daughters in Jesus Christ. God chose us in him, Jesus, before the foundation of the world. Jesus, God, Jesus chose Paul, even though he didn't deserve anything, right? I thought about, I, I, don't, I don't know if I put the thing in there. One of our favorite, one of our songs we sing lately, which I love, one of, it's one of my favorite songs this Jesus is the reckless love, right? We didn't deserve anything. We didn't earn anything. But yet he chases after us. He comes to us and look for us. Surely if there was somebody who was kicking and walking away, that was Paul, that was Saul. And Jesus comes after him. He didn't deserve, he didn't earn it at all. 
This is why Saul, when Saul later becomes Paul when he, as an apostle, when he writes a letter, says, you know what, I did, we, none of us are saved because we deserve, because surely I didn't deserve anything. I didn't earn anything. This is why he is so, so strongly secure on grace of God. Because he didn't deserve anything. He didn't earn anything. Somehow God came and came and spoke to him and found him. So next verse is, and immediately there, as, as, as uh, Ananias prayed over, immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. He regained his sight. He got up and was baptized. He took food and was strengthened. He didn't take three, four days or weeks or months to study about about God and the Bible to become a baptized. No, right there and then he got baptized. When, because he believed in Christ. Saul is baptized. I mean, it seems simple, but it is not simple. You know, he just, just talks about transformation, talks about his total change in his life. Now, so he doesn't stop there. And now right away he says, now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. Immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying he is the son of God. Now he spends time with disciples in Damascus a little bit, and then he couldn't wait anymore. He went go out, begin to proclaim Jesus in the in synagogues. In, and, and so see what, what people say. Now he became a proclaimer of the Messiah. And so he, the, all this, those hearing him in the synagogues continued to be amazed and were saying, is this not the man, he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on his, this name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priest? They didn't know, they knew why he came all this way. Now this man turned around and began to proclaim about Jesus Christ in the synagogues. What a witness. What a transformation. This guy who was destroying church somehow transformed and come begin to teach about Jesus that he is the Messiah, the one we've been looking for. This is what is happening at uh, Paul and Saul. But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this, is Jesus, this Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. And because he was, you know, see, because what, what happened to Saul was he was trained theologically. He was a theologian at heart already. And he, and when he encountered Jesus, he realized that all that he studied about Old Testament and the prophecies were talking about Jesus. Now everything he knew made sense in Jesus. Now he was able to prove to the people that Jesus is a Messiah. So much more than what Peter and other disciples could have done that he is able to argue and defend Jesus Christ as a Messiah. So a few things, a few things I want to highlight and, 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 and say. Uh, as, we, we, as we think about the story of what happened, a couple of things come to mind. Number one, never write, never write anyone off. God can reach anyone. It's, it's sometimes... Some of your relative friends you've been praying for, some of who have heard the gospel, some of who have never responded, you've almost given up on them. Even so, those people who are really, really went off the, off the way and, and living in sin and walking away from Christ and doing all kinds of things, even those, maybe even those who may walk away from faith and begin to believe in the wrong truth and begin to get into cult and all kinds of things, people we usually write off. Do not write them off, anyone off. Because God 
can change anyone. Amen? That's what he says. If there was anyone who was part, no way in our human mind ever can become a Christian, it was Paul, was Saul. He meets Christ. He's transformed. Look at, uh, I, wrote, and I quoted somebody, Kent Hughes. I like him. The story of Saul's spiritual transformation ought to remind us never to write anyone off as being beyond the love of Christ. We may do so with relatives whom we know have heard the word for years without re response, or sinner who has gone to crash level of depravity, or someone who has gone into cult or, or is propagating false doctrine. But scripture is clear. God can reach anyone. Now Saul had Ananias. To whom are you to be an Ananias? Think about that. If Ananias didn't obey God, didn't obey Jesus, was too scared to go and tell Paul and Saul. I mean, and Saul couldn't, would, would not have been transformed. So, so Saul had Ananias. To whom are you to be an Ananias? I want you to uh, look at a little quote here. Beyond doubt, Ananias is one of the forgotten heroes of the Christian church. If it be true that the church owes Paul to the prayer of Stephen, it is also true that the church owes Paul to the brotherliness of Ananias. I want you to think about it a little bit here. You see, before Saul encountered Christ, there was something going on. God was preparing something beforehand. God was preparing something beforehand, and, and, and part of that was Ananias willing to listen to God, hear God, and go and talk to him. Just like that couple, especially the wife who said, if he, if he goes to hell, it'll be your fault. And he goes around and, and obeys and gives a Bible to him, and that man... And, and, and just confirmed in his faith who God is. The third, God's grace is at work. God's grace is at work. I love this line in the song, right? Oh, it chases me down. Fight till I am found. Leaves the 99 from the reckless love, right? But before Saul encountered God, there was a lot of things going on, a lot of things happening. God was preparing his heart for the grace. One of that was Stephen. When he saw Stephen preach and die in that, he, he, even when he was being stoned, he was smart and, and a peace in his heart and looking up to heaven, how he died, the message he shared. Not only that, when he was ravaging the churches and catching the Christians, how they Suffer, they would die for Christ whom they believed. I bet you put, put those, all those things begin to work in the heart of Saul. And I bet you, I believe he was ravaging more because those things were putting more guilt in him, really making him think, why are these guys, even death will not deny Christ, but die for what could be a lie. But he began to question, began to have a torment in his heart. God was working. God was, there's a preparatory grace going on in Saul's life. I really believe that God's grace is working in our lives and people's lives, bringing them to the place where they meet God. One of the illustrations I used when I was at Wheaton College, talking to college students, and, and this is a very good illustration. 
and, and, and they, they, somebody used a part of the, uh, the skits they did. You know, when you have a pimple, right? When you pimple on your forehead, whatever, I, I, I get pimples in my butt or in my back, whatever. And, you know, and if you touch it too early, it, doesn't, it just doesn't do anything. It just hurts. You have to wait until it's ripe, right? When you see yellow inside, you pop it. Like yesterday, my wife was popping Abby's pimple, and then it went into her mouth. And he was like, Amy heard it. Ew! Anyway, meaning that it has to be ripe before it pops, right? If you touch it too early, you make it worse. God's grace works, prepares our hearts and minds when we encounter God. And it's a very gross... But think about that. God is preparing things. And so you're ripe to encounter God. God's grace is working in Paul's life. God comes to Saul when he's ready, when his heart is ready, with all the turmoils going inside of him because of the Stephen and all the other Christians. All that troubled him. You see, there's God's grace working in him. Therefore, um, William Barclay, this is what he, what he says. This is, not, this is not a sudden conversion, but a sudden surrender. You see, God was working on his life for him to come to Christ. But suddenly a time came we were sudden surrender before God. You see, conversion was taking away the place. And then at the, time, at the right time, time came he turned to God and surrendered. I give up God. You are right. You are king. You are the Lord. That's what was, was happening. Sudden surrender. I love this. Uh, uh, one of the books I was reading, uh, commenters are quoting C.S. Lewis. The hardness of God is kinder than the soft, softness of man. Let me say it again. The hardness of God is kinder than the softness of man. And his compulsion in our liberation. He's compelling us, leading us to freedom, not to be bondage. God is kinder. In his hardness, more than the kindness of people. He is working in the life of Saul, and God is bringing him to himself. It's just like the song we sing God chases after us, right? And fights it unfound, leaves the 99 so that I didn't deserve it, I didn't earn it, but the overwhelming. The love of Christ that comes to us. No wonder we sing amazing grace. There is all God working in us. Preparatory grace. Final, final question is this. Are you on the Damascus road? Are you on your Damascus road? Not just, not, I'm not just talking about time of conversion or salvation, but also... Are you on your Damascus road where you are wrestling with God, struggling with God, many things? Now, this is Kent Hughes again. Have you, have you been brought to the end of our resources? Have you ever been completely helpless unless the Lord intervened? Have you ever given up and given in to Christ? Our Damascus roads are generally not as Dramatic as souls, but they are meant to have the same effect, to break our independence and our arrogance 
and to bring us to Christ for salvation or re-consecration. Our Damascus roads are meant to convey our emptiness and the greatness of Christ. Are you on your Damascus road? Some of you may have never really met Christ face to face. You may be on the Damascus road that you are invited to come to him and surrender to him. You may be on the Damascus road with different struggles in his life, in your, in your life, pointing that you need Christ, you are empty without Christ, you need more of him, whatever it might be, and where you come and say, God, I surrender. I need you. I need you here. I need you more. Can other priest him come? Are you on your are you on your Damascus road? It's one of the paintings from the, I think 1600s. You know, a painting of Paul meeting beating Christ and falling off his horse, encountering Christ. I want you to know our God, our great, amazing God, the God who chases after us, God who fights us for us until the end. He leaves the 99 that, he, that we may be found in him. And I, you know, often this is true, not only when we come to know Christ first time, but in different places in our life. Sometimes we are wrestling against God. Some of his ways, his will in our life, we are in different, difficult places. And we are invited to, we are drawn into Him to surrender, to trust in Him. And that's, it, the, the effect is the same, the invitation is the same, to come before Christ. Surrender to His Lordship, His love for us. The message of reconciliation in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is, be reconciled to God. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. As if God was making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become God's righteousness in him. God is working in our lives. I don't know where you are. One of the messages I spoke to Wheaton College students was, was, was about when uh, Jacob was wrestling with God in the river of Jab Jabbok River. He saw his brother, older brother, he hasn't seen for years, coming to him with 400 men. He was so fearful that his brother, myself, courage wants to kill him. And he was wrestling all night long. But at the end, he realized he was not wrestling with about his brother, he was wrestling about himself. That's why when at the end of the older wrestling, and, and the angel of God once is leaving and touches him on the side, he becomes crippled, and, and, and says, angel said, let me go. And he said, I will not let you on this until you bless me. The angel of the Lord, or oh, God incarnate, says, what is your name? My name is Jacob. I've been, I've been a I've been a, a deceiver, cheater all my life. Jacob means ch cheater. I'm Jacob. That's who I am. But the angels of the Lord says, no longer will you be Jacob. You will be now called Israel. One who has wrestled with God. 
God changes his name. His struggle was not about his struggle with his brother. His struggle was not with his reconciliation with his brother. His struggle was really about himself with God. Often our struggles speaks of my struggle with God. It's not about just me and my wife or me and my friends or me and my parents or kids, my co-workers. More than that, often the deepest thing is me and God. And we are wrestling with God. And we come and, and Jesus comes and comes to us. You can, it's difficult, impossible for you to fight against me, fight against my will. Sudden surrender. When you come and surrender our hearts and our wills and our lives and our fears and our anxieties and all that, God replaces with his grace and mercy. He invites us. I don't know where you are. Be reconciled to God. I want to declare that to you. Also, let me just remind us who are you supposed to be an NIS to? Think about that. Obey God in that area. Definitely. If you will just stand, let's sing this, sing this praise together. Come to God. Sing this as a prayer before God. And a thanksgiving to God.